Hey guys, my name is Ben Berman and welcome to the Starting It Up podcast where I interview all types of entrepreneurs uncovering actionable steps and inspiration that you can use to build your business, your side hustle, whatever it is that you're trying to create and live the life you've always wanted. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Today we're chatting with Clive Jackson. Clive, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a real pleasure to, to get to talk to you and to really uh, start diving into your story. So for everyone who might not be familiar, Clive is the CEO of Victor. Victor is revolutionizing the world of private jet charter to make comparing, booking, managing flights simpler, faster, and more enjoyable, all while tying sustainability uh, into that mix. So uh, Clive, I know you're a, you're a serial entrepreneur. You founded a few companies before. I'll hand it over to you to give us a little uh, intro to your bio and how you got to this point. Well, thank you for that, Ben, and, and great to be on the show. And, uh, you know, just to put into context, um, I set up Victor uh, nine years ago, and um, it was really born out of frustration um, as a uh, an occasional charter of a private jet. Um, I experienced a pretty opaque um, uh, service, one where as a buyer, I had no idea who the suppliers were, um, that the intermediary was invariably a broker that would never disclose any of the details. Um, and, you know, when you turn up at the airport, you know, the plane is invariably not what you what you thought you'd booked. Um, so, you know, that was that was the background to, you know, understanding how Jet Charter currently worked back then. And um, I set up Victor with a view to um, fixing that problem um, and also uh, ensuring that I could bring some sort of digital disruption into play that would deliver a more transparent customer experience, uh, a one that would use some technology to help connect the customer with the, the massive amount of aircraft that are available today to, to, to charter from and to make that just a seamless, easy to use experience. And, uh, you know, that was the, that was the background to Victor. Awesome. So I'm assuming most people probably listening to this aren't very familiar with uh, the world of private jet chartering. Uh, what exactly, like what specifically does Victor do from, from the research I've done? It seems like plane can fly into say, you know, New York to London and then it goes there one way and then it can just sit there, but also potentially have to fly back empty. And I think that's kind of where uh, a lot of your flights come into play because you can now start making this more efficient rather than having these planes uh, flying around the world empty. Uh, you can actually fill them up with people for, for lower rates. Is that uh, an accurate way of kind of describing at least partially uh, what Victor does? Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the whole idea of, you know, are these planes flying efficiently and are they flying empty? And, you know, at the moment, 42% or thereabouts of all private jets flying in the world, and we call them business jets, um, are flying empty. So they're heading back from having dropped a passenger off or heading down to collect a passenger. Um, and, and that sort of ties back into what the motivation was, you know, for starting Victor up. I didn't just have a brainwave thinking, hey, I want to solve the private jet world. Um, I was actually on my way back on a, a British Midland flight into London Heathrow um, nine years ago from the island of Mallorca, where I have a holiday home. And um, British Midland, in their infinite wisdom, decided to cancel all flights. Um, and I was actually on the last flight back. Um, the same week, British Airways decided to cancel all flights. And I kind of looked around the cabin. And, you know, that year, I think I was flying 12 times in, in, in that year. And I looked around at some of the very familiar faces and they're all having a really good moan about what are we going to do? 
because the options were down to two flights a week. So people commuting backwards and forwards and doing business, it was just, you know, they were facing a horrendous situation. And, um, you know, I was sitting there in row 1A and I turned around to uh, some folks in the two rows behind me and said, listen, if you want a way out of this mess, why don't I charter a jet and um, you guys will get on it and we'll fly down in a couple of weeks time. And everyone thought that was a great idea with the exception of, well, how much is it going to cost? And I said, well, look, I, I don't know, but, you know, it could be, yeah. you know, $1,000 a seat. Um, and we're currently paying $350, $400 a seat. So, you know, why don't we go ahead and do that? So I left the plane with about seven business cards in my pocket. Um, and that was on uh, November the 6th, uh, 2010. And um, within a month or two, word of mouth had spread. And, you know, by Christmas time, you know, I had a couple of hundred people who were really frustrated with the air travel situation between Mallorca and London and were saying, well, look, count me in. And that's when the idea sparked. And I thought, well, look, you know, if we chartered a jet down, can we use the empty leg going back and sell seats on that? Um, so the idea was originally born of a private jet share community where, you know, you, Ben, could charter a plane. You could put five of your friends on it. So that's six of you going down on a aircraft that, let's say, is capable of flying eight people. Uh, so an eight-seater aircraft, six of you split the cost. And when it comes back, let's say you just sell four seats on it, you know, that's six plus four. Ten of you have now split the cost of a 8,000-pound aircraft. So that's 800 quid a seat or $800 a seat. So that was the idea. Um, and like all true entrepreneurs um, that have to be open to pivot, um, two weeks after we launched the company, the Greek debt crisis hit. Um, and uh, we found that uh, operators who were flying these planes were just flying them out to Mallorca or you know, Milan or Istanbul, dropping their passenger off. And then flying the crew home on EasyJet because they had no further booking. You know, yeah. the, the world had fallen off a cliff at that point. So they were just leaving their plane parked up in Milan or Istanbul for a week or two weeks until they got their next booking. So the bottom fell out of my business plan two weeks after launch um, because I didn't have the return empty leg. And, you know, I looked at my shareholders and said, look, um, we can close this down pretty quickly. Or um, let's just focus on the customer that wanted to pay for the service, i.e. pay the full $8,000. And can we just do it faster, quicker and better than, you know, the original providers who are non-digital? They're all pretty much analog brokers. There was no transparency involved in the process. There was no obligation to disclose um, who the supplier was. And, you know, could we do this differently? And everyone looked at me and thought, you know, wow, you're pretty nuts on this one. And I said, well, look, yeah. you know, you're not going to go to a hotel booking site, booking.com or hotels.com, and book a hotel in Paris and not know where the hotel is, what the name of the hotel is, but you're just booking a five-star hotel. You have no idea what the room looks like. Um, so, you know, some of my uh, investors got it and said, yeah, okay, let's keep going. And, and you know, Victor then tried to become – you know, this jet charter business thing, Airbnb, um, where, you know, we'd fly you from A to B on any type of aircraft and with a fleet at our disposal of about three and a half thousand aircraft that you'd want to fly in. 
Um, and that's anything from a 747 down to a, you know, a four-seater jet. Um, we can fly you from anywhere to anywhere in the world. You know, so when you think about larger commercial airlines like, you know, British Airways and Air Canada, they're flying maybe three or four hundred, you know, um, destinations. We're flying forty thousand different airports around the world, so we can get wow. you to places where you can't normally go. And for most people who charter a jet, it's like hiring an Uber. You're doing it because you want to get from A to B in the shortest possible time. And for those people that are flying, time is a premium for them. So they're invariably doing business or they may be zipping back to their uh, second or third home somewhere for a 48-hour weekend break and spend 12 hours each way going through a commercial airport with two changes. That just doesn't make sense. So that's how the, how the model works. Awesome. Yeah. When, when you were telling me about kind of the first idea that you had, it reminded me a lot of uh, Richard Branson's story where um, – uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with it, uh, but, you know, he kind of just was was in a similar situation and realized, like, this is, you know, horrible sitting here waiting for all these planes, like nothing's moving. I'm just going to find people in the airport and get our own plane. Uh, and and I, I think that resourcefulness is uh, is really kind of what separates, you know, some of the, the really successful entrepreneurs who can find a business opportunity uh, in anything and those who, you know, might not have that kind of instinct. And, and I think that it's definitely a mindset type of thing. And, and you can always learn it. You just have to, you know, learn from people like yourself and, and say, if this person saw it, what can I do next time to see an opportunity like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nodding on that one. I think, you know, fundamentally, when we look at entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs um, don't have all the answers. They're always looking to glean um, from other people, from situations, from events. They're always looking to, you know, assemble a, a myriad of different components together and come up with something new that, you know, they're willing to look at life differently, look at situations differently. But I think fundamentally what is common to all entrepreneurs by way of their DNA is it's an open mind. You know, you have an open mind. You have an inquiring mind. You have a mind that always wants to learn. So you don't see barriers. You see opportunities. Barriers are challenges that you need to overcome. And, you know, Nine years later, um, so we're now in our ninth year of trading, Victor has now become the second largest on-demand provider of private jet charter in Europe. We're the fastest growing aviation brand in the world, um, and we've made it into the Sunday Times tech track for five years on the trot as one of the top 100 fastest growing tech companies in the UK. And, you know, that's not easy to do wow. it once, but to yeah. do it five years on the trot um, you know, it's hard because the sorts of growth that you're delivering is 30, 40% per annum. And when you start to get into the tens, twenties and thirties of millions of dollars of turnover, that's a lot of extra money that you're adding every year to your growth curve. So it says one thing, the model worked, we became faster, quicker and easier. And I think what sets us apart from all of the competitors providing jet charter, and they fall into the category of brokers who organize flights on behalf of their client, but keep their clients at arm's length from the supply. Victor that says, look, if you come to our website or our app, we'll tell you the aircraft operator, we'll show you the aircraft, we'll give you the floor plan, we'll tell you the actual registration number, when it was made, when it was last serviced, how many hours have the uh, first officer and the captain got on that particular type of aircraft, so that it's called a type rating. How many hours? Is it 20 hours or is it 2,000 hours? 
So we provide all of that insight to allow our customer to make an informed decision because we believe today technology is about empowering the consumer, not defending the hill around which perhaps an intermediary is making excessive margins. Yeah, and I think in so many of these these high dollar transactions, you know, private jets, mansions, luxury sports cars, and, th- and things like that, the middleman is always, uh, you know, not always, but very frequently making a lot of money, and uh, it's it's a very like you're saying, it's very secretive, and and I think you know we're we're moving to this area of radical transparency where everything is online. People want to be able to book everything from their phone, from their computer. And, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. And it's, it's awesome to see that you guys kind of understood that earlier than most. And, and that's actually been one of the reasons as to why you're so successful. So uh, just a, another transition as to a key value proposition uh, that Victor offers is the fact that you're aiming to offset the carbon emissions of your flights. Uh, I think when most people think of private jet, they don't think of good for the environment or uh, carbon offsetting. But that's another, you know, area that, that you're very different from from the mainstream. So could you talk a little bit about that? Well, look, I'm, I'm glad you raised that issue about, you know, the transparency and the margins. And just to close off on that, because um, I've just seen an email pop from a, uh, you know, a co-founder of, um, you know, a very famous motor racing series. So I'm, this is on a no names basis. I was having breakfast with him and a number of other people last week. In fact, I was giving a keynote at that breakfast and he said, oh, yeah, I've heard of Victor, but I haven't used Victor. And, you know, I, I fly a lot. And long story short, you know, within an hour after breakfast, he'd gone on the app, downloaded it, put a flight request in and our team had got on it. So we have a technology which is high high tech and we have high touch, which is the white glove component, which can see where you are in the world, what you're doing, what you need and, you know, help anticipate it. Long story short. His existing broker took a $12,000 flight and added an $8,000 margin to it, right? When he found out that we had the same aircraft at $12,000 versus his $20,000, he went ballistic. You know, he couldn't cancel it because they say, well, if you cancel it four days out, you have to, you know, you have to pay a 100% cancellation fee, which again, I think is, you know, disgraceful. But that, you know, there is the issue. If you want to build a brand, it doesn't matter what you're selling, what service you're providing. As you said, Ben, today the consumer wants to be in control. Today the consumer trusts nobody. And it does mean that you've got to deliver real transparency to win that trust. And, you know, if I circle back to your point about where does Victor sit with the environment? Look, having as a as a you know, successful entrepreneur having built, you know, one of the fastest growing aviation companies on the planet. The question for me is how do I wrestle with the fact that these aircraft pollute the atmosphere? You know, how do I wrestle with the fact that we see day in and day out now um, issues being raised very publicly in terms of demonstrations, um, campaigns by uh, Greta or Extinction Rebellion about the environment and climate change How do I wrestle with that as a successful entrepreneur? You know, as an entrepreneur, does it mean that if I want to be successful in business, I have to say, you know, I I, I turn a blind eye to the planet? Well, the answer is no. And, you know, in fact, three years ago, I started down a route of saying, well, look, let's try and offset 
some of the carbon emissions on our flights. And it was a voluntary scheme. And I worked with um, British, uh, British Petroleum, um, who ran a offset program called BP Target Neutral. And I said to them, look, if I could get these aircraft to fill up with your fuel at different locations, will you help us promote a carbon offset program to those specific operators? Three years down the road, 30 odd percent of our aircraft were flying totally carbon neutral. And that was a start, but frankly, not nearly enough. So when I rolled into 2019, I thought, look, we've got to, we've got to do more. This issue is just going to get worse. Climate change is here, regardless of whether you believe the science on it. And I do believe the science. What I do know is that a jet engine produces carbon dioxide, period. Right? You know, if, if, if in, in, in layman's terms, if you take a gallon of fuel and you burn a gallon of fuel, right, you know, you create about... 20, you know, you, you take about 23 pounds of oxygen out of the atmosphere to mix with that fuel because, you know, fire doesn't happen without oxygen. So you take a gallon of fuel weighing six and a half pounds, you take 23 pounds of oxygen out of the air and you create, you know, the energy that comes out of the end of a jet engine. But you also create 20 pounds of carbon dioxide. So that is the mechanic of it. If you think about our aviation industry as a whole, and I don't separate private jets from civil aviation, I just say it's the same industry. Last year, we were producing circa 900 million tons of CO2. Now wow. on the world stage, that accounts to just over 2% of global man-made emissions, 2%. Yeah, well, okay, so we're not the biggest polluters in the world, but we pollute. Well, two things here. First of all, aviation is in the spotlight. That's what the environmentalists and the demonstrators are focusing on. So it's it kind easy of really, to see. Very easy to see. And, and I don't mean the contrails, those beautiful white paper trails up in the sky. I mean, the, the fact is, is it's high profile. Um, so, you know, the issue around our industry is, well, if we're producing just over 2% of global emissions, where is our industry going in terms of efficiency? And, you know, our engines, certainly in civil aviation, have pretty much maxed out in terms of the fuel efficiency. Aircraft design has almost maxed out. Um, and until we bring electrification into play, there isn't a great deal more efficiency other than reduce air traffic control delays um, or put electric in an aircraft. So I looked at the forward forecast of growth for this industry and in aviation per se, last year, we did something like 4.2 billion passenger journeys. Now, that seems a lot, but I can tell you the forecasts are suggesting that in the next decade, that will go to 8 billion passenger journeys. So put this into context of a, yeah. a nice, big, wide-bodied A340. You know, when an A340 takes off from London and heads over to New York, Right. It's full of fuel, full of passengers, full of food, you know, and, and full of baggage. The entire weight of that plane will be produced in carbon dioxide between leaving London and arriving in New York. And that's horrendous. So we have got to address this issue. And out of the 3,000 airlines around the world, less than 30 are offering a carbon offset. So when I looked at this issue, and I thought, well, look, I'm in the, the business of private aviation. You know, no one really looks at us. And I think, well, actually, that's wrong. This is our problem. We've got to deal with it. And dealing with it means 
you have to own and acknowledge the issue. So we ran an ad campaign one July, private jet company boss sits bang center of the advert, open letter to the FT. And my, my opening proposal is, if you fly by a private jet, you're polluting the atmosphere 20 times more per passenger mile than if you flew on an airliner. I mean, that was a pretty shocking ad campaign to run in support of your own company. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what I said was Nick's paragraph, we're not proud of it. We have acknowledged it. Now we're going to do something about it. So one July, we entered a program that focused on how do you avoid emissions, how do you reduce emissions, and how do you clean up as you fly? Because we're not going to stop the world flying. We're not going to stop people going to work. We're not going to take their jobs away. You know, that's a ridiculous um, proposal that we see out there by some of the extremists. Yeah. 65 million people are employed around the world in aviation. Forget what they do, either flying from A to B and what business they're doing and what jobs they're creating. But that's a massive number, number of people employed in this industry. So our mission was to say, okay, how do we reduce uh, fuel burn? Two things. One, can we use smart algorithms to reduce the amount of air traffic control delays to optimize route planning? Um, and we're doing that today. And we're doing that because I was very fortunate to buy Europe's leading flight planning company two years ago from BP Ventures. So that's now part of my group. So I have access to that data. Real time, every aircraft flying under the FAA or the CAA or wow. Euro control. You know, what flight plan, what rate of climb, how much fuel burn did it make to hit 42,000 feet? You know, um, did it climb up in stages or did it go in one long fuel burn? So we have that data, we can optimize that. The second thing is, is that we need to be promoting biofuel, biodiesel from genuinely sustainable sources or recyclable sources or from waste. Now that's, that means that that fuel is not coming from fossil fuel, it's coming from waste, it's, it's coming from sources that would have otherwise emitted carbon anyway. Um, and how do we promote that biofuel? So that's part of our mission is to promote it and promote it to, in the private jet world, to people who can afford to pay the difference because it's not cheap. And yeah. then the third part here is if you're going to fly and people have to for all sorts of reasons, whether it's medical evacuation, United Nations relief, or just getting from A to B very, very quickly because you're in business and you're starting a company, you're raising money, you're seeking investors, whatever it might be. In that instance, we then mandated, mandated a 200% carbon offset on every single Victor flight from that point onwards. No ifs, no buts, and most importantly, Ben, we're paying for it. We're paying for it out of our marketing dollar, so we're diverting our marketing dollar from promoting our brand to buying carbon offsets. And now we're saying to our customers, those influencers, those sports stars, those Hollywood stars, those government ministers, those CEOs and founders and entrepreneurs, some of whose technology you and I use today, are flying on our aircraft. So it gives me the chance to have a dialogue with them and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. This shows you total transparency, total honesty, and total commitment. This is my truth. What are you going to do? And my mission is to get, in the first 12 months, 20% of all of those passengers who fly with Victor 
to put their hand in their pocket and top up to 400%, top up to 1,000%, or top up to 10,000%. Top up to the extent that they can afford to pay for sustainable biodiesel, which then starts this movement and creates a big step forward. And it shows to their staff, their employees, their family and friends, and some of these people run companies with 100,000 people in them. It shows them that the boss is committed to change his lifestyle and if for nothing else, to clean up after himself. And that's been the basis of the Victor uh, proposal. Um, we started, as I said, on 1st of July. Um, what is interesting is in the airline world, who I'm benchmarking myself against, less than 2% of all passengers on airlines put their hand in their pocket. And that's been over a long period of time since some of those airlines introduced carbon offsetting. But for Victor, I want to be at 20% in my first year, because we have to, we don't have a choice. We've got to act now and we've got to act in a way that inspires other people. I mean, I, there, there's so much there that, that you said, but I think one of the first things people would start wondering about is you're essentially telling your customers, you guys, you know, we're going to be changing the way th we're, we're doing things. They're coming from different uh, private jet charter companies and, and you're saying we care about carbon offset. We care about the environment. We care about, you know, how we're running this business. And if you're, you're going to be our customer, we want you to do this. A lot of people might see that and say, that's kind of dangerous. You know, what if you lose customers? What if this campaign doesn't work out? And I think, you know, a lot of different businesses struggle with this. You know, you want to, to do something that is beneficial for the world, but it might not necessarily be or seem like it could be beneficial for the bottom line. How did you think about that? And, you know, what can other businesses that want to have, you know, beneficial impacts do to ensure that their actual business isn't being hurt by this? Because it seems like, you know, this actually helped Victor. Well, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think the you know, ultimate question for any entrepreneurial, um, you know, businessman is, you know, can you build a successful business and also do good for the environment? Uh, are you thinking about your uh, social and environmental impact? And I think certainly today, when you look at CEOs of larger scale companies, no question, that's one of the top five things on their agenda. You know, how do they balance the need for delivering corporate profits with the social impact that their business is having on the environment? And if they don't do that, they're going to lose touch with consumer sentiment, and consumer behavior. And it is the consumer that is driving the agenda. So ignore it at your peril is my first point. The second point here is, is that don't underestimate the impact of setting a genuine, and I don't mean greenwashing, I mean a genuine social agenda um, within your own organization and the impact that that has on your staff, because that can be hugely motivating for them in terms of its sense of purpose, in terms of how it creates passion. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the point is a well-made point. Ben, and that is, is it going to hurt my business? And I think you've got to think very carefully about how you implement such a scheme. So from a Victor perspective, yes, I can sit up there and I can make all these claims, but I'm also the one that's paying for it. The question really comes down to, will I get 20% of my customers topping up and paying more? Because that then reflects the level of engagement. If you see my company starting to go backwards, then you know fundamentally people don't want to use Victor because they don't believe in what we're trying to do, which is to clean up after our aircraft pollute the atmosphere. Now, that's so logical, this idea of cleaning up after yourself. 
I can't see anyone wanting to turn away from that. There might yeah. be the old one or two, but to me, that's just nuts. You spill a cup of coffee over someone, you are going to clean it up. You yeah. don't just turn around and walk out of the room. But if you're doing that to the environment every day, just think sensibly about it. And I do know that you know the vast majority so far have been very supportive, and our job is to get them get them to put their hand in their pocket. But part of that exercise is also about delivering transparency and saying that there is no one silver bullet. So transparency is around the whole issue of carbon emissions, the whole issue of cleaning up and how it works, how biofuel really works, where is it available today and how much it costs. And then fundamentally, look, if I'm flying, what else am I doing in my lifestyle that's emitting, you know, emitting carbon? So in July, we published an eight-page special report that we submitted and, and distributed with the Financial Times, 100,000 copies. And in that, we talked about emissions by activities so that individuals could start to contextualize you know, where and how are they creating you know, um, um, a carbon footprint? Where is that coming from? So whether it's an aircraft type or whether it's just things that they buy, so, for example, a pair of jeans is actually quite carbon intensive to produce. You know, that's three kilograms. Um, so, you know, if you think about an average um, amount of pet food on a yearly basis, because I have a dog, I mean, you know, that's 2.2 tons of carbon associated with the pet food for my dog. Um, if oh, I think yeah. about an average flight per passenger down to Marbella, for example, that's, you know, one tenth of a ton. So one tenth of a ton for one flight or 2.2 tons to keep my dog Archie happy, you know. So fundamentally, part of this is just, you know, explaining it in a way that people understand. And then when we talk about carbon offsetting, explaining how that works. And because this year I'll probably spend a quarter of a million buying offsets, I'm buying it through the very best providers that the United Nations have certified, these red plus programs, these UN gold certified programs, and they're the best they are today, but I know that over time, we're gonna really have to dig into that and find out where's that money going? How effective is it at um, taking carbon out of the atmosphere or reducing the amount of carbon that is being pushed out of the atmosphere? Because if we produce a ton of carbon as a result of our lifestyle, then we need to take two out. And that has been part of my mission to go above and beyond and set a benchmark that isn't just enough, but it's more than enough. Yeah, that's incredible. I think it, it's private jets, but it also it's, it's what we do every day. Uh, we're living, you know, probably everyone uh, listening to this, uh, to this podcast is living in a country where they're not even realizing it. Like you mentioned, the dog food, the genes. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's just not something people think about. And when they start seeing the fact that a private jet company is pushing this now, you know, maybe the regular consumer is saying, you know, I should think about this. And just the, the campaign that you have going, I, I think is going to touch a lot of people. And, you know, for me recently, I, I was just looking at flights. I just, I just booked a trip to, to Thailand and, um, I hadn't really noticed this before, but I started noticing a lot of the options all have like carbon uh, offset uh, options there for, for the flights. And and it just shows, you know, this is something that is 
top of mind right now. And it's it, it doesn't seem like one of those things that's going to ever go away just because it's so important. Uh, so it's, it's awesome to see, you know, that this is so ingrained in the company's mission that at this point, without that aspect, uh, you know, Victor isn't isn't Victor anymore. And um, have you ever thought about this is kind of, you know, going in a different direction, but you work with private jets right now. Have you thought about taking this model and applying it to other types of, uh, of vehicles, boats, cars, and anything like that? Just because uh, it seems like it could be relevant and, and the whole offsetting mission behind it could be uh, impactful in those areas as well. Well, I, I like the way that your mind's going, Ben. And, um, you know, let me talk about that briefly for a moment. Um, in terms of, you know, the Victor campaign, what I was ever so mindful of when we launched it was that we were going to come up against criticism, and we are from the environmental lobby groups, from the uh, climate change scientists, um, from pretty much everyone. Um, and we're also going to come up against a lot of resistance from within our own industry. Um, you know, why on earth are you, Clive Jackson, you know, founder of Victor? you know, running a global advertising campaign saying that private jets pollute 20 times more per passenger mile than a civil aviation airliner. Well, I can tell you from, an, from the industry's perspective, um, the European Business Aviation Association actually asked me to change that headline. And they asked me to just say up to. They knew how controversial I was going to be they are representing the business aviation community. And the only change they asked me, they didn't force me, they just asked me, would I consider the copy text change and include the words up to 20 times? And I said, of course. And in that 100,000 copies of this special environmental report that we put out with the FT, they put a really bold and powerful statement in that report themselves. So in answer to your question, Victor, I think, is setting the benchmark for business aviation. I hope others will follow. And what we want to see is more doing what we are doing, which is taking that first and most important step forward. And of course, offsetting isn't you know a silver bullet, as I said earlier. So we've created a campaign called Beyond Offset is effectively becoming a movement now. Hashtag Beyond Offset. And what it means is that owner-founder CEOs of businesses, small, large, startup or established, fast-growing or high-growth, public or private, if they are concerned about the environment, if they look at what we're doing and they think, can you do good in business and do good for the planet? The answer is yes. You know, think about it, but the answer is apply your creativity apply what makes a good entrepreneur, that open-minded inquiring person, and apply that to your own company and your own industry and set a new benchmark. And in the first 120 days of this campaign, I have literally got two to three a week CEOs coming to me saying, like, we'd like to become a co-founder of Beyond Offset. And anyone looking to demonstrate full transparency around what they're doing and how they're looking to change their social and environmental impact of their business, they can get involved in hashtag beyond offset. It'll, it, you know, it will be a not-for-profit charity. It will be all about creating that movement and championing the cause and dispelling misinformation. 
but most importantly, showcasing people doing positive and inspiring things. Because you don't want the world to be full of doom and gloom that we're all going to die and it's all going to be horrendous and the world yeah. is all going to collapse. <laughs> you know, what you need to do is go right back to grassroots and find young kids at school and say, yes, we can tackle this. The real issue is, yes, we can. Entrepreneurs are all about, yes, we can. When everyone says you can't, we can. So if we can find a way of inspiring people to do smart and innovative things in different industries, this is really part of my social mission. How do I inspire other business um, leaders to get on this platform and showcase their work and inspire other people? And that, that, that's a byproduct that, that really came out of the back of what Victor was trying to do itself. And now we're looking at what Victor is doing and how that could be showcased in civil aviation. You know, back to your um, flight that you've recently booked. There are only 30 airlines in the world that offer that. There are 3,000 airlines. So we're now looking at the technology that we have available. Can we make that available for the entire airline industry and create a platform that allows you to track your carbon emissions and choose the right offsetting providers that are certified by the um, UN and the various governing bodies to say, yeah, if I'm going to put $2.50 in or $5.50 or $25.50 in, I want to know that it's really going to work. So this is, this is part of my passion. This is part of my life's mission. Um, 14 companies under my belt. It is really refreshing to feel that, you know, you can build a successful business as well as, you know, trying to do good. To go off of that, um, you know, you're a multi, multi-time founder. Uh, you've started a lot of companies. You know, you're in the marketing space. You're, you're now in this space. What advice would you have for uh, a young entrepreneur, someone who might be um, starting their first business that wants to do good? They want to have a company that has a really beneficial impact on the world. How should they think about it? And you know, maybe what are some of the common mistakes that that person can avoid in order to, you know, because sometimes entrepreneurs might conflate a business that does good with, you know, business that uh, with a company that's focused around charity when it's very different because the, the business models are, are completely not alike. But what kind of mistakes can someone avoid uh, in building a, a company that, you know, has a mission of, of doing a social good, but at the end of the day still wants to be really successful? Well, I, th I think this comes, first of all, down to the, the whole idea behind, you know, the business plan. And, you know, fundamentally, um, you know, you, you, you might be out there you know, trying to create a business um, and then you're worried about its social impact um, versus um, you want to go out there and do good from day one. Um, and you're not really thinking about a business. You're thinking about what problem are you solving? You know, this all comes back to the problem that you're, you're tasked to solve. So if you are creating a business per se, um, your job is to um, create something that's successful, that uh, returns money uh, by way of a dividend to your shareholders who invariably you, you would have asked to invest in your company. So your first priority is to create a successful business. You know, that is without question that first priority because without it, you're not in business. You're not even yeah. in the game. Um, yeah, it's the tough to do good about, when there's nothing coming in. Well, yeah, you kind of need money to help, you know, as I said, help the world go around. And from our perspective, quarter million goes a long way in terms of ensuring that we're buying the right carbon credits and we've got real leverage about asking the tough questions about, you know, where that money's going. 
But you know, if you if you focus on if I'm building a business plan, if I'm building a business, whether it's a product or a service, as part of that construct, my recommendation is to look at how um, you are sourcing your product, how you're sourcing your goods, how you're having it developed, how do you surface it. If you build a trait that runs throughout the business plan assessment, which is what's the impact on the planet? What is the social and environmental impact of what I'm doing? Um, and how does that, in the, in, in the context of emissions, how could that be done more efficiently? So rather than try and retrofit um, a, a more environmentally conscious approach to a business that you've once made and now is successful, in the early planning stages, I think we should be looking at that as just part and parcel of one of the four or five key criteria when building and evaluating a business plan looking at its overall sustainability, its overall impact on the planet, and whether or not from day one you are constructing the business in the right way. I think that's really key. Gotcha. You guys heard it here. Focus on kind of the fundamentals, I guess, before or, or really just kind of figure out exactly what the goal is, you know, what the business model is, because just as Clive said, you can't have – it's, it's tough to do good if there's no money coming in because you kind of need that to, to fund uh, what you want to see in the world. You know, you have your time, but also, uh, you know, money is, is able to kind of go a long way when, when it comes to, to doing good out there. Clive, you know, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, it's been really, really awesome getting to, to chat with you and, and having you on the show and, and learning more about, uh, you know, Victor and kind of your, your past entrepreneurial experiences for everyone who wants to learn more, uh, wants to maybe connect with you, what is the best place for them to go and, and where's the best place for them to, to contact you? Well, I think probably to save, save my inbox and the, um, and, uh, um, you know, my, 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 um, executive assistant who is just fantastic, um, but totally snowed every single day of the week. Um, I would suggest LinkedIn. So if you go look me up, Clive, Clive Jackson, um, CEO, founder, Fly Victor, on LinkedIn, um, you'll also see quite a number of um, um, broadcasts that I would have made in, in conjunction with yourself, Ben, and also in conjunction with people like um, uh, Bloomberg of recent, where I am talking about um, the mission that we're on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I see myself increasingly being asked questions now from other uh, owner founder entrepreneurs either at the early stage or the mid stage or the scale up stage of their business in terms of how do they think about their, uh, their social and environmental impact. And, you know, uh, as you pointed out, Ben, I've been, um, been at the game a while now. Um, Victor was, you know, is my 14th company. So, you know, I, I've got those scars in terms of defining growth strategy through to market sizing, to developing go to market um, proposals right the way through to, you know, how do you build a team? How do you build a board? You know, how do you create the governance that satisfies your shareholders? You yeah. know, particularly when your shareholder base becomes quite diverse. So you've got friends and family, you've got ultra high net worths, you've got angels, and then you've got some VCs in there. I mean, all of that starts to become quite challenging for, uh, you know, uh, an owner founder. And, you know, the, the challenge for any owner founder is how do you keep, how do you uh, attract and keep good people, have them motivated, have them appropriately rewarded through the various stages of growth of your company. Um, and, you know, fundamentally, the most burning question for any entrepreneur, as you know, Ben, is where do you find the money to get going? 
So LinkedIn. We could do multiple episodes on, on a bunch of those different topics, but um, but yeah, and, and, and just a final question out of those 14 companies, I'm guessing Victor has been your favorite, but uh, I just want to hear from you, which one kind of has been the funnest or, or, uh, or best journey you've been on? Well, um, if I, I've talked a lot about Victor today and, you know, it's now part of the Alyssum group um, and we chose the name Alyssum because it's not often you can get a dot com in one name. And we did yeah. um, a couple of years ago. And Alyssum means, you know, it's a flower um, in some people's eyes. It's a weed, but it's the fastest growing seed on the planet. So I quite like that. But um, if I sort of step back a little bit and look at um you know, my previous foray into digital and digital disruption. In 93, I set up one of the first digital um, communication design and build agencies in, in, in the UK. Um, I set it up on my own as a, a one-man band um, programming um, and, and building stuff and ended up taking it to about 150 people, London, uh, New York, and Los Angeles, and eventually selling it to a public listed company. But what was interesting about being an agency of sorts was that, you know, I got to work with some of the best brands and some of the brightest people in the world over a 17 year period. Um, so whether it was getting involved in creating a, you know, a launch campaign for um, one of the um, Sony um, racing games, um, whether it was uh, taking the Tango soft drink and uh, hijacking the Euro qualifiers by having guys running through the crowd dressed in orange, um, <laughs> whether it was working for the Financial Times and building their first ever classified web portal, um, to Bentley, to Jaguar, to Aston Martin, um, you name it, you know, I've worked with some of the best brands in the world. And I think that's given me a fantastic insight in terms of what is common amongst all those brands, right the way down to a small scale startup. And that is, how do you connect with your consumer? It's either a B2B or a B2C consumer, but how do you connect? How do you deliver something that resonates with the consumer, which means how do you understand the way that they think? And that comes back to that open-minded entrepreneurial approach. If you understand the way that your consumer thinks, you have a better chance of connecting with them. And if you then run a business, it gives you a better idea of how to organize your company to service that customer going forward. Um, like I said, if you're a major car manufacturer or a games producer or a print-based publisher transitioning into digital, these are the same challenges that face everyone. And they all will always be the same challenges because get it right, you get customer loyalty, you get customer growth, and you then have a successful business. What What do you think are some of the, uh, I don't want to say tips and tricks, but um, kind of the best ways to, to really figure out what your uh, your customer is, is thinking and to get inside of their head uh, from, from your experience in, in that realm or kind of just, you know, across all these businesses since that's the common thread? Well, that's a really good question. And look, at the end of the day, um, nobody knows all the answers, and least of me. Um, and I think when you start to target customers that are in a different demographic segment to yourself, you know, if you're 26 years of age and you like doing this and you like doing that, and you go to the gym and you ride a mountain bike and you, do, you go to the cinema three times a week and, you know, you live in Clapham and you're selling a product targeting that group, you probably have a better idea about how to connect to them. But a lot of us creating businesses don't necessarily create solutions or we're solving problems for exactly our peer group. 
we're trying to create and solve a problem per se. So one of the best tips that I have is go talk to your customer, right? Identify who they are and go talk to them and get them to tell you what keeps them up awake at night. Get them to tell you what good looks like because they have all the issues. If you just listen to them and you can solve their issues, you're in a win-win situation. Yeah, I, I guess it is. Uh, it is really that simple. Just, just talk to them, have an open mind, and and actively, you know, listen. Because I think talking to someone without listening can give the appearance that you're, you know, really gaining information. But uh, I, I, that's that's kind of how you go down a, a different road that that doesn't lead to to a winning business. Clive, thank you again so much for for coming on. It's it's been awesome. Uh, everyone out there, uh, we'll we'll link to to Victor and to Clive's bio and everything in the description for you to learn more. Thank you again and. And um, really looking forward to keeping in touch. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day. Yeah, absolutely. You too. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, go rate and subscribe to the podcast. Leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes goes such a long way. If you found something particularly valuable or interesting, definitely share it with your friends. We'd love to hear your feedback as well. So follow us and reach out on social media. We do the show every week, so stay tuned for more episodes. And until next time.